Hey, so raise your hand if you messed up the audio quality for this episode. Nope, nope, just just me. Yep, that's that's my hand up. Uh, yeah, so uh, turns out I didn't set the Audacity settings right for this episode and was recording from my laptop instead of from my really nice expensive mic that I was doing really good to keep mic positioning with, and it didn't matter because I was ruining everything and didn't know it. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like I'm talking through like cardboard box um so i'm really sorry about that i hope that this doesn't ruin your experience with this episode we did have a really good discussion about wild mount and Allie and spencer's audio sounds fantastic and we all had really good things to say so that's why we're not gonna go back and re-record it plus it is 5 37 on thursday so we can't um so yeah please forgive me uh we'll do better in the future please enjoy the episode what's up and welcome to difficulty class a podcast about all things dungeons and dragons i'm one of your hosts ali deichman and with me this week is trevor bettis and Spencer Raposa. Hey, that's right. And we'll, this week we'll be talking about the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how are your games this week? I played a game. Oh my god! <laughs> I did it. I, I after after the, the last uh, episode of not doing anything at all, I did things. Um, nice. <laughs> my Skype group. Well, I say my Skype group now. I guess it isn't really as good. Also, we moved to Discord, so I can't even say that. So I'm just, <laughs> just up. They're the Golden Pals. You the Golden Pals, yes. <laughs> uh, the Golden Pals, yeah. We moved over to Discord to give it a shot, uh, mainly as a test for my Avernus group, who was not too keen on using Skype. So I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. Uh, it worked out pretty well, but I did something new. I had my phone, which also has Discord on it, in the phone call, or in the video call, and then I have a little, like, boom thing that holds up a phone and i held it over the table and had a battle mat out and we used it in combat and they almost died and it was great and then they lived and everybody really liked it (laughs) i'm really okay so what what is this boom mount thing did you order off amazon or yeah um i got it off of amazon a long time ago originally i bought it for doing uh video reviews for this podcast oh right um but that we didn't get that off the ground yet. Who knows? Maybe. Um, but yeah, it's it's a boom just like what we have for our mics here when we record, you know, in the same room. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but it has like a little like a clamp, like a like a, a claw thing that you put your phone in and it just holds it there. And you can point it at the table and, uh, and then we'll can show everybody what's going on with the battle mat. Cool. Yeah, because I'm tempted to get that myself <laughs> because that would just make life easier for those that usually aren't with us when we play and also now (laughs) yeah um it 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 worked out really well too because it was just basically like all right alex where do you want to go he's like i want to go towards the cloud giant uh just move me three spaces that way i'm like like this he goes perfect and that was it because i just had it right here in front of me oh cool Um, it worked out really well and that it was actually the first time we've ever used a mat or any kind of token system at all in a year and a half of playing. That's right. You guys pretty much purely do 
Comp yes. Theater of the Mind. Yeah, that was the very first time we've ever done that, and uh, it, it worked out well. the The thing that I told them is, I'm like, I don't know how much of a return this is going to make because we're playing Storm King's Thunder, and the rooms are huge and massive, <laughs> and I don't have enough room for that. They really are. Yeah, that was like one of my biggest issues when I was like DMing it because it's like, okay, so imagine the edge of this room is about thirty more squares that way. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so. But yeah, we, we were progressing further into Storm King's Thunder. Um, they left off on a really climactic note, literally stormed into a throne room with two uh, giants and an army of berserker ghosts behind them. Ooh, very exciting. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, what happens next time. But but you you guys, you what will happen with your guys' game this week? Yeah, it was a lo- it was it was fun. Um, so. <laughs> It finished off, I don't think I mentioned it because we, I think, recorded before uh, we played, but the big bad, one of them, was killed, was taken down. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. L- Lucian, uh, Malkanis. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, uh, Saphir's dad, he was taken down, which was pretty awesome. Holy shit, that has been years in the making. <laughs> yeah. Um, they took him down in the abyss, they uh, revived a god, they got... Essentially, they used up a favor to solve a rizzle, a riddle, and oh, it was... Uh, no, 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 excuse me. I like a rizzle. A rizzle? <laughs> this is now the real rizzle. Um, and so that was like the last session, but then this session was all roleplay. <laughs> and Taylor so yelled at Spencer <laughs> in yeah. character, and Spencer was like, oh gosh... <laughs> Aren't yeah. you guys' characters a thing? Yeah, that's 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 yeah. pretty much why there was yelling. <laughs> uh, Roland had a strike two essentially of their relationship, um, because so Roland in the past, when he found out his spell plague was progressing further along than he had known, which was basically with the first Valindra fight, he found out about this. He kept it to himself and then only told Saphir about it. You're the fucking guy in Walking Dead that gets bitten and doesn't <laughs> tell anyone. But, <laughs> no, I, he, he told Saphir about it because he didn't know what to do, but he didn't want to tell Twyla because he didn't want to worry her more because she already was terrified of him when he would go into some of his spell plague modes. Um... So pretty much in the roleplay session, they he came clean about some of the things of like there was an additional voice that was speaking to him because pretty much for the first time, someone tried to control him from the cloak. The artifact made him do a save. Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to do a wisdom save to not do what it wanted me to do. Yeah. So there was this moment where it's like, I said, oh, yeah, they revived a god. So this god was, uh, in particular, you know, the Wand of Orcus? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know how it's a skull with, like, a mm-hmm. spinal cord? Yeah, all that. So the dude that was that wand was being used as the wand, and he was revived, mm-hmm. and he was going to be destroyed. Um, so they're like, okay, well, what if we bring him, like, long story short, his soul was shattered into several pieces throughout the abyss that Orcus's realm is on. And he's like, okay, um, if you put all the pieces together, he'll become whole and be able to do his own thing. And so they're like, well, we have half his pieces are inside him right now. The other half are in my bag of holding. 
what happens if I put the pieces together now? And Roland was like, nah, I shouldn't. But then the cloak was like, but what if you did? (laughs) Because like, we want to know what happens. And so Roland thankfully saved and they didn't have to fight undead god of the ocean part two when the reckoning all their health was super hella low and they had no more spell slots left yeah so he talks about that which leads to them going into a dream state in we sent three people via dream into roland's dream the spell dream yeah (laughs) so that had complications in itself, never mind the fact that there's suddenly three people in Roland's dream. But essentially, Edrahil, who is the main person Roland interacts with within the cloak, keeps Roland in a void pretty much while he's dreaming so that the spell play can't influence him, which is mm-hmm. what was happening. Um, So pretty much... Roland's in a void, and then three people show up, <laughs> which is making this void more and more unstable. Think the good place. It's oh, like, it. like you're you're in my void. Okay, don't do anything. And then they did things. <laughs> and we tried to summon a ball. <laughs> psychic damage. <laughs> and took psychic damage because of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Pr- pretty much Edra Hill shows up at that point and like kind of stabilizes things. But that's when Roland pretty much let everything be known because it was Bradley, Bertram, and Twyla that were in the dream with him because they were. Uh, Roland was worried that uh, Lorelai would show up, who's the person who's been trying to influence him to fuck shit up, pretty much. There's a lot of of out-of-context bits of information here, but essentially, the cloak has a lot of people in it, so its personality is just not one person. It's all the past leaders of the many-starred cloaks. Um, And one of the past leaders was actually evil. Not a good person. There you go. Bad. So she's been uh, influencing Spencer, told him, hey, don't tell anybody I talked to you. And then Spencer listened to her. And, <laughs> and on top of that, he didn't tell anyone that, uh, well, he only told Saphir that his spell play got worse. And so Twyla got upset for him for keeping that from her and for not telling anyone about Lorelai. <laughs> oh my God. But mainly about the keeping it getting worse from her yeah Yeah, that that's that's not a good that's not a good one yeah so i'm excited to to get into this because spencer like roland's character roland himself has uh i got you confused for a second um (laughs) he sent out a letter asking for help and information on the spell plague essentially to like uh this library that he has contacts with and they're like yeah we can send you some information we just recently actually got a book in like the past year and so they're sending him a book or two but mm, yeah so it, stuff. i like it yeah exactly so it's it's gonna be very exciting i'm i'm excited about it mostly because i i physically made a book nice. <laughs> for that very reason <laughs> um I guess the other thing that we'll uh, that I want to mention is we did play Pathfinder Second Edition with Wiz, uh, and it went really well. We used Roll Twenty and Discord, and it we, there were some hiccups with Roll Twenty. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, the same things that we were talking about 
uh, with the episode last week about you know what goes on with those. Yeah, the video quality and the audio quality was just okay, and then for some people, it didn't work at all. Yeah. So, yeah. That I didn't was see Kyle the entire time. Or hear yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's going to, this whole playing far away from each other thing is going to take some getting used to. And, but you know, we, we had a good time. It was a great session and we oh, yeah. did a lot of shit and, uh, and it worked out. So we're going to keep doing it. Spencer fell off a cliff on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I climbed down half of it first. And then you fell 50 feet. Uh, I believe it the counted best, as 40. I believe the best line was, can I roll for a hay bale? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> roll um, for hay bale. <laughs> So yeah, uh, but let's let's move over into some broadsheets. Yeah. Uh, first one, spoilers. Uh, Explorer's Guide to Wild Mounts out. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know, if you if you hadn't heard, um, yeah. and it's uh, it's available freaking everywhere. Um, well, okay, maybe not everywhere right now. Everywhere that is available to purchase. <laughs> everywhere that is a that is open and yeah. not quarantined. Um, you can get it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's available digitally on, on Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, and uh, D&D Beyond. Uh, the D&D Beyond one's got some really cool stuff with it, and I kind of think it's not getting it, because I, I like those little frame things. <laughs> Be that um, little extra bit. Yeah. And uh, let's see, next piece of news. I, I threw this in here just because I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so Chris Perkins, and, along with a bunch of other DMs and players, uh, did a reading of different D&D books while in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I this saw was, that. Yeah. This was inspired by Patrick Stewart reading Shakespeare and posting it on Twitter. And Chris Perkins thought, well, hey, um, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it with a book that I helped write. So uh, he, you can watch him read some of the, uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide and a bunch of other uh, people online like Justice Armin, I think Anthony Joyce, uh, a bunch of people did other readings of their own on uh, out of different books as well as the Dungeon Master Guide. Mm-hmm. You can find them on Twitter. They're fantastic. I saw someone tweeting saying, this is just Chris Perkins' ploy to get people to actually read the DMG, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, see, what I was thinking, I was, I'm like, is this just a teaser? Are we going to get, like, the audio book of Chris Perkins reading the entire DMG? Because I would listen to that. I would listen to that. That would be interesting. I, I saw a tweet of someone was reading the PHB, but in iambic pentameter. Oh, combining yeah. the Shakespeare oh with the DMG. I think it was like Lauren Holden or something like that. Yeah. I'm not familiar. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I was just like, are you serious? I, I need to it. listen to this and I forgot about it because it's Twitter. Um, in other big news, Idol Champions 1.0 is officially out. Woo! Hell yeah. Uh, so excited. So the, the, the game that is a game that wasn't a game is now a game. Officially. Game. Yeah, it's officially a game. <laughs> Congrats. Um, yeah, and, and the absolute best part is uh, you lost nothing. It, it, it was like, a, it was, it was reminded me of like when Minecraft went live, where it's just like, nope, everything's still here. It's just better. Yep. It's just now officially there. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, and Mars did a, um, a Twitch stream uh, yesterday. Well, yesterday for us, um, but on Wednesday I think it was yes. that was showing off um, a bunch of the new stuff and everything. Because there's more updates to this game than we could talk about right now. It'd probably be a whole episode, and maybe will be in April. Maybe 
spoilers, foreshadowing. I don't know what you do for a podcast. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't mind that. That'd be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And one of the coolest parts right now is the spring extravaganza. Uh, Every day, uh, if you log in for, I think, three, four days in a row, Mm -hmm. you get a Minsk skin and some cool items. Oh, I love those. Yes. So much fun stuff for so little effort. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the mint, uh, you know, it's something for Minsk. I love Minsk. Yeah, mm-hmm. Everybody knows here. I love Minsk. Minsk and bull. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go check. If you haven't played Owl Champions in a long time, go check it out. Um, and you know what? While you're there, why don't we give you a code to get a free gold chest? Woo. We'll throw we'll throw in uh, Champions Loot right here. Yeah. Uh, th- that way, you know, people who ju- only listen to the show to get the code uh, get screwed up. <laughs> Josh, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> all right, so this week's uh, champion's loot code is D E C K K E B S R E N K. So you can check out Isle Champions again. That's officially out, and uh, get a free gold chest on us. Take a screenshot of it. Send it to us. Mm-hmm. See what you got. We always love seeing what people get out of, the, out of their loot boxes. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for broadsheets. Uh, the, we're going to do quick dungeon keeping. And all it is is me going, please send us questions. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to get real close here. We're out of questions. We're, we're in a question drought. I'd really love it if you sent in some things, some stuff, maybe maybe other stuff and things. I don't know. Just email us at difficultyclassgmail.com. Topics, questions, suggestions, feedback, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Our email's looking barren. It's just me talking to Clive from Idle Champions. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Clive. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, if you can, uh, if you got any ideas for things or whatnot, please send them into difficultyclass@gmail.com. We'd love to see them. We'd love to read them. We'd love mm-hmm. to work with them. But that's enough of me rambling. Yay. <laughs> We're here to talk about Wild Mount. Yeah. yeah. A book we didn't even know existed until this year. And, and is now out. <laughs> what I hands. first thought was pronounced Wildemount, but you know, there goes me. I, I also thought it was Wildemount. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, I went. I went full like freaking ger- German. I was like, "It's Wildemount." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Matthew Mercer quickly corrected me to uh, Wild Mount in a video with Chris Perkins. So yep. uh, that was that. But so we got Spencer here, and Hello. some of you may be going, "Why is there a third person here <laughs> <laughs> for this review?" <laughs> Well, one, we didn't do a good job of introducing him. Spencer is Allie's boyfriend. Yeah, he, awesome he's that boyfriend. Spencer. <laughs> he's that Spencer. You've heard about him probably for a long time in our in our game recaps. Yeah. Um, but he is also one of the biggest Critical Role fans that we know, mm-hmm. uh, personally. Um, <laughs> I, okay, not know of, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, um, that we can get a hold available. of in this quarantine time. <laughs> yeah, that's also a good point. Yeah. Um, but... You know, when we were talking about doing the review for this, Allie and I have some experience with Critical Role. I've listened to seven episodes of The Mighty Nine, um, and I don't think Allie, I think Allie just hears stories. I get all the Twitter uh, backlash whenever something exciting happens, <laughs> and I don't have to worry about being spoilers because I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we thought it would be appropriate if we had someone on here who at least you know, no stuff about Critical Role. 
Yeah. Uh, because it, as it says very plainly on the front of this book, a D&D product created in partnership with Critical Role. Yep. So, Spencer, how's it going? It's going. <laughs> it's going well. Um, how did this book, did this book satisfy you as a Critical Role fan? Uh, with what I've looked at, yes. Like, I will put a disclaimer here. I am not caught up with the second campaign i'm only about halfway through it how dare you know what (laughs) i have a lot more episodes on you guys oh yeah no and and that was that's that's what that's what why we wanted you here is because you do you know stuff you know who people are you have t-shirts like we (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know more than we do yeah um and i didn't ever finish the first campaign i got probably just over halfway through it so i just want from what i've heard you don't need to so at this point you don't uh there is some stuff that will like does play in into the second campaign that was like talked about people had it like we'll probably get into it there's probably going to be i will say this because i was flipping through the book there are spoilers in the book Oh, yes. for campaign so to two. Speak. Um, what I read in here uh, that Matt wrote was that this book takes place just after episode fifty of season two. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm almost of set series that. two. Sorry. So, um, like, yeah, the, there are, there are a lot of spoilers in here for anything before that. Oh yeah, <laughs> very true. Um, just so from that... my Twitter knowledge alone, I, I know there is like the cover. <laughs> Yeah, I, which is which this how out of it I am. I'm just like I, I, there's there's some people and there's a weird space thing. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have known who the people were, but I know what the weird space thing is. No, that's good. That's your head of me. So so back back to the original question: How did this book do as uh, like a critical role fan? Like did did it was I it mean, what you were expecting, or was it more so or less? I didn't know what to expect, honestly, when they were like, oh, we're doing a Critical Role uh, supplement book. I was like, well, what does that mean? Is this going to be like the uh, third party Taldore book they had, which was like, okay, that's cool. But like, what's really the content of that book? Yeah, but then... I, I have that book as well. And it, it, it's uh, it's a little sparse. For how big it is, it's sparse. <laughs> But then you look at this book and everything that's in here and it just goes to show and I know you guys have talked about it before with um, how the books have been progressing like each campaign book we get. It's just like a little bit better. They're taking the pieces that worked and Mm -hmm. adding on to them. They did that with this book. Oh, yeah. Like... When you look at Eberron, which was really well done when you look at Eberron as a supplement book. (laughs) And then you look at all the additions they have in this book that they built upon what they were doing in Eberron. And there's just so much useful information. There's... Well, before before I I go into the thing I was going to say, Allie, what, what do you think of it? Personally, I think it's actually a really cool supplement book. Um, yeah. More so than a setting book, actually, funny enough. I think I think it's really well done in that situation. Um, I could, based off of just browsing through it and looking through, like, the majority of, what was it, chapter three? It's like, I can easily 
build a D&D game in this world. Yeah. And I don't need to know the show. I don't need to know the world from the back of my hand. Like I can I can play it from this book. And I, I, I totally agree with that. Without knowing any previous experience about this, it's like, yeah, no, I can I can run this book and it's 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 it feels pretty good, man. <laughs> it feels good. Yeah. I mean, like on top of that, there is just a ton of options in there too, which is like Fun. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely gonna want to go into those options, and especially with what Spencer has to say about it. Uh, but what I'm gonna say first, I think this is the best setting book that has ever come out. Yeah. D and D. Like, I spoilers for the end of this review. Yeah. This book thoroughly impressed me, and with someone who did not have any at all expectations of what this was going to be, this book blew me the fuck away. It's like. If everything in Ravnica was just a little bit more in detail, that's what this book is, and also I, I, gives you a lot more options. <laughs> I mean, that I don't. Gets me I wouldn't even say Theros. a little bit more. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, here's the thing. So I, I wouldn't even say a little bit more. I would say this has way more info than any of the other source books for fifth well, edition. Yeah, I'm not going to say the older ones because I only read fourth edition ones, which were okay. Um, but like, I heard, yeah, I mean, I heard some people mentioning that it has kind of like a 3E, like guidebooks kind of feel. So it's yeah. like, it's it's similar to that kind of like era. Like, like I'm looking through the, the Wildmount Gazetteer. Is it, is it Gazetteer? Is that how you say it? Yeah, it's, it's like a newspaper edition, essentially. Yeah. But like, so like Port Zune, it's got how, uh, the population and what percentage of that population is, what the government is, what their defenses are, what yeah. their commerce are, what their organization is, and then goes into the actual thing about the, the location. Yeah, like, so it, it gives you brilliant like bullet points idea about the location, but then it goes into it more. It's like what Storm King's Thunder was trying to do with his chapter three. But yeah. just more. <laughs> and, like, I already feel like I have a better grasp on what Wildmount is than Eberron. Oh, 100% same here. Because Eberron, I'm having a hard time really, like, getting into that setting. But it could also be because this is also a high fantasy setting. And I'm comfortable in high fantasy. So it's like I'm easily more accepting of it. Whereas, like, Eberron is, like, this semi-fantasy, also well, technological kind of feel. Yeah, I, I think, like... Everyone's like a little more urban fantasy, if you were... yeah. No, you're you're right. Yeah, it's it's like urban fantasy steampunk kind of stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> but th but this book Wildmount, like it's got. I love where it starts. Where it's just like, hey, here's some quick information you need to know. Yeah. Um, and then from there it goes into, uh, it has a calendar. It has a calendar. Yeah. And holidays and then a. a a thing about the moons about daily life about technology it gives you it the first part of this is like a prepper for the rest of the book i mean it even gives you a creation myth like for oh the my world. god it was so i freaking loved it like i i haven't sat and read a like intro to a world i think the last time i did that was when the diablo 3 book came out <laughs> <laughs> that was like the the book of uh Kane or whatever the heck it is mm -hmm. um but yeah. this was it was actually fascinating to sit there and read about it and it was actually during that part and when I was reading through because then they go into like the pantheon of, of Alexandria and they started throwing out D&D &D god names like Avandra and uh Melora and um Palor and I'm like wait a minute 
those weren't in the Taldori. Did they retcon this? And then I went back and looked and realized all of the monikers they've given the gods were just what the gods were called in the Taldori book. Yeah. And so this has already been set up. Like, he he, he didn't have to change anything. It's all here. It's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And... Funny enough, though, actually, they had to change one god. They did? Oh, yeah. Pike in campaign one followed Saren Ray because they were coming oh, yeah. from Pathfinder. So mm. they changed Saren Ray to Ray, I believe, based off of reading it. If you le- read Ray, it's very similar to Saren Ray's tenants from Pathfinder. But that was the licensing one issue. change they would have to do due to licensing is change Saren Ray to a different name. And we've gone full circle. Pathfinder started from D&D and had to change a lot of their stuff. And now d and is like, well, we're coming from Pathfinder. So I guess we've got to change some things. With this book, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the one of them that's in here like uh, in the Betrayer Gods is Vecna. And I'm like, that's fucking sick. I love Vecna. Awesome. Honestly, I love how they separated the gods. It, they're not just all in one little pantheon that's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, no. It's like there's the, the what is it, the prime gods, and then there's the betrayer gods. And then yeah. there's the lesser deities. Oh, yeah, where it's like, they're trying. They're and getting well, up there. What's cool with the lesser <laughs> deities, because they have the breakdown of, like, in the PHB and everything, of uh, what domain would work for if you're going to be a cleric for this god. With the lesser deities, they have that, but they also have which packed it would be if you were a warlock with them instead they're covering all the bases because yeah. with the warlocks like itself tells you oh yeah if you're going to be this subtype like these are usually the deities or like powerful people you'd be connected to whereas this book covers that for you so you don't have to make it up yeah because like even it, the, sorry what it, it, no it's, it, it's stuff like that that is highly impressing me with this book and why i think there is a difference in it and why I don't think we're going to get another book like this is because from what I understand, Matt wrote most of this, like a large majority of this book. I heard also that he had like enough content to write like three books and they're like, buddy, slow down. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, we normally don't get this much information. Like this takes months to get this much information and you're giving it to us day one. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, that's the the reason why this book is so different and so in depth is because it's not coming from a game designer. It's not coming from researchers. It's not coming from yeah. yeah it's... Like the the way the way that I explained it to to Tara when I was reading through this was it it made me think of Bungie the game studio. And uh-huh. This is going to sound like a weird tangent, but okay, go with me on this walk. <laughs> We're here for you. Um, <laughs> So I love Bungie, I love Halo and Destiny and all that stuff. But one of the things that's always irritated me is that when they make a sequel to a game, it they are like, well, here's all the new stuff we added. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, I really liked that other stuff. And now you've been so focused on this new stuff that it makes the last game make less sense. Like Halo 1 and Halo 2. Halo 2's got submachine guns, battle rifles, dual wielding, all these weapons that are like very now iconic to the game and aren't in the original one. Yeah. They cared more about putting the new stuff in than making it make sense with the original game. And I know writers have tried to go retcon that, that like, oh, the armory got destroyed in the Pillar Rom. It doesn't matter. Um, and so when I look at books that are written by Wizards of the Coast, like there's always like, well, this is the new stuff that we did. This, like, when look at the races specifically. 
in most of the campaign settings, you're like, well, here's the new races. Here's all the cool new stuff they can do. That's very different. Where, as in Wildmount, they're like, here is another type of Dragonborn. Yeah. Here is another type of this race. They also, fun fact, the Tortle is in here. <laughs> this is the, I think this is the first yeah. time the Tortle has been printed. Um, also, the Aarakocra and the Genasi are in this book, too. Yep. Those guys only were only in the, online. They were only in the Elemental Evil book. Yeah. So it's like these all these races finally have a play a home so to speak mm -hmm. and like all those adventure league players were like you get player's handbook plus one and it's like well honestly this wouldn't be a bad plus this one would be the best plus one you could do yeah for yeah. race and, options yeah. and so like w because matt was focusing more on expanding what he already had instead of sitting there and trying to come up with brand new stuff. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like, it's just, it's the difference between uh, a game designer who's always looking for the next best thing. Yeah. And someone who is just trying to expand on what they are given. Yeah. Um, and if this if don't, by the way, people listening to this, don't make this sound like the, the player is a better writer than the game <laughs> designer. You're not. I'm not. It's a very rare thing. Matt Mercer, we know, is a very skilled storyteller and world builder and stuff. So And that translates, had, yeah. Yeah, he that translates really well into this. Um, so this is one of those um lightning in a bottle moments where it's like i this this is really cool and really awesome right now but i'm not gonna hold wizards to this standard i think that's what i'm trying to get to i'm not gonna hold wizards to the standard of this book going forward because i understand <laughs> that they are game designers and they are looking for the next best thing and that's okay and yeah. i still love all the other setting books but this is it's it's kind of like that uh that Top Gear meme where it's just like this is brilliant, but I love this. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I I yeah. am totally Jeremy Clarkson right now. Where there was just like yeah no Ravnica and Eberron and those setting books are really great, but fuck this book has got the stuff I'm looking for in a setting guide. Yeah, no, it's it really is almost genuine to a setting guide where you get the idea in the full capacity of what each place is, what the different factions and organizations ruling the place is without having any kind of background knowledge. I think that was the thing with Ravnica was I already had the background knowledge. Mm -hmm. I already knew that Mysterio was the bad guy going into that movie. So it's like, <laughs> I, I really probably didn't have the best grasp on if it was a good or not setting guide <laughs> for Ravnica. But and on the flip side with Eberron, we aren't really familiar with Eberron. So going yeah. into that setting guide, there wasn't almost enough information yeah. for me to get a full wrap of everything. Like I could read it and I'm like, okay, there was this big war that happened. There were these different houses. There's these marks and stuff. Like I can get a general understanding, but the way uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount breaks everything down to like such attention to detail mm -hmm. that anyone coming into it, like Ali was saying, not being familiar at all with it, she can look at it and be like, I can probably run something in this setting because it's just all the information is there. You don't need to watch Critical Role to be able to play in this world because mm -hmm. that's how they wrote it. Like, it's not um, 
it's not pretty much like oh you need a no critical role and you're like playing this side tag along uh adventure you're not with playing him. a sidekick to the main you're not group. playing yeah. lord of the rings the third age yeah <laughs> you're playing your reference. own <laughs> campaign in this place and so like that's what i think is why hopefully moving forward we'll see some of the detail they took from this in other supplements mm -hmm. but like trevor was saying i don't think we can hold it to this standard because there isn't that third party content creator that's yeah. giving supplying all this lore and information so i will say i think that they can get close if they finally put out that Faerun <laughs> lore guide. <laughs> yeah. Because if you look at Storm King's Thunder, they do go into the same amount of detail that they go into this book for each city and place that you can visit in Storm King's Thunder. In this book alone, in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, they have over 120 adventure hooks in yeah, here. That, I was going to bring that. That is insane. Like every location is like, what could happen here? That's crazy. And I'm like, I've read this before, and it's because looking back into Storm King's Thunder in chapter three, every single place that it's mentioned has like something that happens there. And it's like, or it's like the base idea of like, well, this is what goes on here. So it's like they took what ha what they did in chapter three of Storm King's Thunder and just exploded it. They made it huge in Explorer's Guide to Wild Mountain. That's what they made the entire like book for was just that. So it's like you yeah. can actually feel like you're interacting in this world and not the world is just there as a background. It's it is freaking crazy. This book like I, I used to say the the was the Mad Mage's Dungeon or whatever the heck the, the under the Undermountain one. Yeah. That was the densest D D book. I think this is the most enjoyable dense book. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between reading like a textbook dungeon like that one and reading like a lore book. That yeah, you, like the, it's, you can interact with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. um, real quick, we're going to pause for our uh, DMs Guild Spotlight. And I don't think it should be any surprise at all uh, that our DMs Guild Spotlight is going to be the Bloodhunter class for D&D &D 5th Edition 2020 Edition from Matt Mercer. Hey, how about uh, that? Yeah. Um, right now it is $4.99. Um, it, uh, I don't believe that the proceeds go to the Australia wildfires anymore. And I'm, I'm, because of what's going on in the world, I feel terrible because I don't even know if that's still going on because it's been just keeps attacking us. Thankfully rains have happened. So it's been lightening yeah. up. <laughs> Good. Uh, but yeah, for, for reference, uh, while the wildfires in Australia were going on, uh, all proceeds went to, uh, to that relief. Uh, and that was, I think it was $8.99 then. So now it's dropped down to $4.99. And uh, this is the class that I used in our one-on-one uh, -on -one game. Uh, and it is so much better <laughs> than the yeah. original one. <laughs> so much better. Yeah, it's, um, it's, really, it's really a lot of fun to look into. And if you're a fan of like The Witcher too, it's, it's a great grab in. Yes. Um, and uh, important to note, it is not in the Wild Mount book, which is probably one of the only knocks I'm going to give the damn thing. However, there is, there is an NPC. A, yeah, there is an NPC is. stat block. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you can have the NPC of this character in there, uh, but if you want to make your own and your DM's cool with it, uh, go ahead and uh, pick this up. It, it, and uh, yeah, we'll tweet out a link to it like normal. Um, and we'll tag Matt Mercer in it for lols because, you know, maybe he'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so 
getting back to the review, Spencer, it looked like you had something you wanted to say. No, no, okay. I was okay. <laughs> well, then, uh, how about we go ahead and like talk through the book, uh, kind of quickly, like what parts there are in it. Like we already started talking about, like there's the calendar and the gods and everything. And we okay. were talking about yeah. the gadget or gazetteer. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, the the way this book set up is like they have like the little like prepper part of it which is the the beginning and then chapter one is the story of wild mountain it's kind of what i like about it is it's kind of a zoomed out perspective of the world well of the continent um, yeah it's it pretty much just sets up everything about it like i mentioned it like the creation myth itself is really cool to read through because after going through a ton of like lore digging for Faerun, i realized how much that kind of information is helpful for world building out like your own game and just getting that information in there from this book is like okay i could actually build something off of that <laughs> and it's like um for those people that don't like to stick purely to the books that gives you a good base to start off of exactly um but yeah the so the that area goes into like kind of a zoomed out thing of wild mount along with the gods like we were saying and then chapter two is factions and societies um yeah. This one is super fascinating because I, from what I've noticed with Matt Mercer stuff, he really likes making factions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, there, it's actually pretty neat. Like, um, there's 13 groups, and it includes NPCs too that go into them. God. So it's like there's so oh, much information into it. Like, uh. It, it there's no stat blocks for these NPCs. It's just the story behind them, but it gives you the basic things like lawful neutral, male human, and it's sometimes it's like a gender half elf. So it's like it's pretty cool how it. Oh it's, wow, that's awesome. Oh yeah, no, there's it's that's actually kind of scattered throughout here, and it's not like pointed out or anything. It's just casual. Like this is how the world is, which yeah, is really I, nice. <laughs> I will say the amount of uh, inclusion in this book is i i absolutely love it like mm -hmm. from that to the fact that there are npc drawings of people of different sizes in this book there's pe there's guys that look like me there yeah there's awesome. a tiefling in this book that looks like me and she looks so badass with her defender shield i'm like yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah like little stuff i mean it's little stuff but it, it means so much and yeah I mean, I guess there's a part of me that, like, kind of expected that from, from Matt because of how he is, but it's great to fucking see it. Yeah. I mean, like, so, while we're on that, let's talk about the art real quick. So, I wanted to mention that the art has several styles throughout, and I didn't realize mm -hmm. why until later, um, because I think Spencer pointed it out or something like that, but... It might have been me or might have been yeah. someone so else. So personally, as coming from someone who's just getting a D&D &D book and was not expecting it, the art kind of gives you like a whiplash where it's like it's that really detailed like uh, high fantasy style setting like mm -hmm. art that you see throughout all the D&D &D books to suddenly switching to completely different style. And it's like it, it seems kind of almost just it's jarring more cartoony than than what it was before and i was like i don't understand why did, why did they make this choice as like an art director position like what but mm -hmm. then uh what, what was it you go ahead and explain. so pretty much they used all their fans art if this is all critters art 
artwork. That's awesome. So pretty much all the art in this, and that's why there is such crazy juxtapositions between the art as you're flipping through it, because it's coming from a different, a bunch of different creators. It's a bunch of fans who, I, I'm not sure how they went about getting it and everything like that of the rights to all this art. Lots but of NDAs. Yeah, well, I, well, I'm yeah. pretty sure they probably in their show were like, hey, we need art for this. Like, send in your art. And they got a lot of it, I assume, because I've watched their show and they get a ton of art mm -hmm. just of the characters and fan art and everything. But that is why the pictures can be so jarring at times or so different uh, styles of art. And that's not to say that that it's bad art. It's it's just the from page to page, like characters stylings suddenly look very different. Yeah, well, yeah, you get kind of like an entirely different feel. It's yeah. it's similar in Eberron because Eberron yeah. you get a uh, very <laughs> fifth edition art, and then you go back to four E, and then you go down <laughs> back to like three point five, yeah. where yeah. the art style was way different than what it is now. Pretty. Like nineties yeah. art is very different for fantasy than what it is yeah. today. Yeah. Very skimpy clothing for women. Yeah. Um, so after after that part, we it jumps into the Gazetteer, which we talked a bit about. And, dude, like, I, I, I loved the Gazetteer in, um, in Waterdeep because it was, like, written in this voice of um, Volo. And I, I really loved the idea of, like, there being a character that this is being you know through the eyes of yeah but this one it it is more focused on getting you the information and yeah. i'm not going to say that i like one of those more than the other i like them for their own reasons but dude this thing just gets down to brass tacks and tells you everything you need to know about every little pinpoint on these maps mm -hmm. And, like, there's, like, over 100 pages worth of setting in here, too. It's not, like, a yeah. small bit. This is the yeah. good chunk of the book itself. Um, and I mentioned, like, the, the hooks earlier. 120 mm -hmm. of them. They are different tier levels. Yeah. So you can go into a place and be like, oh, yeah, this is a low-level adventure hook. Or it's like, oh, there's a mid-level adventure hook. And it's like, oh, no, there's a high-level one. There's a dragon turtle involved with that one. And, so it's and, like... like I, lo I love that they give you the dm information though where it's just like oh well uh these things are going on in this port town and no one seems to know why it's a hydra uh <laughs> yeah they, they actually give you the answer which yeah. what a concept yeah. like i understand that it's really nice to to be like leave it open-ended for dms and to mm -hmm. have them like give an answer because that, you know that's kind of what D, D is about you kind of fill in the blanks but this one doesn't have to you don't have to have that responsibility in this one well the, the other thing is like it it's doesn't say you have to do that no I yeah mean, it's giving you what mac came up with or you know I, I, other designers that came up with these pitches and you don't have to go with it but i like the fact that there is an option there it's kind of like the damage for monsters in fifth edition where it's like we're going to tell you what the average is but you can roll if you want to yeah exactly no and i I just really enjoy, like, and all these little hooks are so flavorful, and they all, like, you can immediately get the idea of what's going on just by this, like, single little paragraph that is in there. And it gives you so many ideas of what to play with it, too. Mm -hmm. Like, there's there's even, like, mid-level and then epic level. There's, like, multi-parts to one adventure yeah. hook. 
that you can go into. So it's like if they finished off this mid-level thing, you could probably go into the next part. And this chapter alone, without even looking at the adventures later, and I said yeah. plural, adventures, yeah. um, you could build a whole campaign just based off of the adventure hooks here. Sure. Yeah, I, I just I looked at the, the pages. It is exactly a hundred pages long. And that's nuts. That's so many pages. And there's like this whole place is scattered with tables and lore and like characters. And there is a table later in this book that takes up a whole page, and I've never been more happy. <laughs> <laughs> like there's these islands called like Isocross, I think is how you say it. And it's like there's oh, there's level encounter tables. Like, depending... And they separate them by tiers, too. So it's kind of like what Xanathar's Guide did for, like, oh, yes. yeah. It's like, you can see, like, if you're in the tundra, here's level encounter tiers. Whereas, like, this one gives it specifically for this region. I and love I it. I think that's just, that's just amazing how they went into it. Um, I will say, uh, it's, it's, like not really alphabetical order i'm not exactly sure it's what broken order it is. down by um by, by region, almost like right? faction by like region so like part of it here's in the uh dwindalian empire here's joros here's the menagerie coast uh so it's broken down like that and then it's alphabetical within oh, okay, that cool. place yeah uh, from what i understand Another reason we had Spencer here. <laughs> Just so I can break <laughs> down <laughs> the regions. <laughs> well, even if that wasn't the case, what's really, really neat about this book, it has an index. Yes, <laughs> I thought you were going to say it has a map. <laughs> and it also has a glossary. So it's like, if you're unfamiliar with these people or places you'd be like okay well where's uh Carlton lock and you just go back to the index like oh wherever the heck that is it's on page 100 and i could figure it out so it's indexes. like I, it's honestly i'm i'm upset that not every DD book has one because yeah. every DD book should <laughs> and and the fact that it has a glossary so it's like i have no idea what blood hunters are let me go back to the glossary are mistrusted monster hunters that live outside society using blood magic to stalk their quarries I'm like yeah that's all I need to know. <laughs> and it's like, it, it just tells you everything perfectly enough. So you can, it helps you navigate through this huge hundred page chapter, mm -hmm. which I super appreciate. Um, so after that, we go into the character options. Now I've heard a few knocks uh, from people that are upset that the character options are so far into the book. Um, I, because I, like, the Eberron book, like, it's right up in front. Ah. But, I mean, uh, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, in Sword Coast, though, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, it wasn't until the very end. It was they literally did the last chapter. They did all the world building first. But, to be fair, that's probably one of the most looked down upon books for people. True. <laughs> well, um, I think, I think but, it's but, fair that it's further in. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's right where it needs to be, because now you have context. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have the context of the... Like, what's really cool about... Even if you do just skip to this chapter, if you're just a player and you want to play in this world, they still provide the context per each race. Well, the, the, the other thing is, like, really, all you would need... If you were a player and you picked up this book, all you'd need to do is just skip the adventure parts, I think. The, the uh, adventure hooks. I don't think reading the details about the locations would be bad as a player. Oh, yeah. And then 
having the context when you come into races that you think you're familiar with, but are living in a world you don't know yet. Well, so I, that, I, hmm? I was going to say, I think that's why they have pretty much so many races in this book is yes. because they are breaking down how it's different from yes. what you understand with Faerun, like how there's subtle shifts into it. And then adding in the different sub races, like the uh there yeah the pallid elf or the um lotus den yeah lotus den halflings or the dracone blood or ivanite dragonborns so like yeah. just having that um extra bit of information for each race and how they interact in not just exandria but in wild mountain itself yeah. well and you know me i love you know, plane hopping and spelljammer shit. So, like, knowing why you see a dragonborn and he doesn't have a tail, it could be that it's like, oh, yeah, there was a fight or something, or it could be that he's from Exandria. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do really like is that they have... Uh, so it says here, in addition to the races of the player's handbook, Wildmount is home to many other races, including the following. Aarakocra, Azamir, Furbolgs, Genasi, Goblins, Goliaths, Kenku, and Tortles, and they have the stats for all of them in here. Yeah. They also have also, Tabaxi in here. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, yeah, I didn't say Tabaxi, because they totally got those in here. Yeah, so it's, what's neat is that they also have a lot of, like, sub-races, too, that they didn't mention right off that top list. There's so many character options, just right out the bat. Yeah. Which, like, when I was talking earlier about, like, that plus one book that you can get at Adventures League... This gives you so many options, more so than you would oh, get in any other book. I didn't realize this. There are full orc stats. Not half orc. Full yeah. orc. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, it's just a lot. And they did borrow some artwork from the previous, like, books that they have in here. Like, mm -hmm. the Furbolg and the Genasi art is the same. But yeah. it's like, that's fine. We that's already fair. know oh, what yeah, those absolutely. are. And yeah, if... They, they... They did the same thing for the Kenku and the, the and Tabaxi. The, and, and the, the Asimar, too, yeah. It, it looks, they look great. They, they look like they fit in here. Oh, yeah. But it's, like, exactly that. Like, they look like they fit in. And if their Asimar doesn't look any different from the regular one, like, why would you have to draw a new one? Um, And then, so, yeah, they, they got the, the stats. It's just, again, I love that they have the stats in here. That makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it the fact that they didn't, does. they were all like, oh, yeah, if you want to play an Asimar look at the Azamar sap block and then this is just a difference it's like the like really the best thing about this because again like we've talked about there are people who watch critical role who don't play yeah but if some of them bought this book the only thing they would need to play is a player's handbook yeah that's it and i love that i love that it's just two books that's all you need to get mm -hmm. into it um but then so there's another little thing in here before we get to the classes the supernatural gift of the hollow one, which immediately made me go, Dark Souls, Dark Souls, is this Dark Souls? What it is. It? Dark Souls, Dark Souls. I mean, it, it, it really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> which is, like, really cool because, like, yeah, it's it's specific to, like, uh, what was it? The soul is filled with strange magic of Blightshore. So it's, like, it is specific to this region, but I see no reason why you have to limit that. You can pull this and dump it right into your campaign, which I think is really neat. <laughs> uh, uh, Spencer, do you, you, you have any context for us for what a hollow one is? You any... I actually don't. I oh. I don't think I've ha come across it yet. Like, it, you were saying up to Sorry episode 50, 
is where you you were saying it was up yeah. to episode 50. Yeah, I'm on like episode like 48 or 49. So, close. so I might be encountering one of these well, shortly. The, the other thing is that uh, it does say in the book is that there is stuff in here that you'll never see in the show. Yeah. This might be something like there. I I yeah. would have to ask someone who is actually caught up to see cuz I do know they Taylor! eventually <laughs> <laughs> Um <laughs> I do know they, I believe they eventually do get to Joros, but where mm. I'm at in it, I'm not now. And from what I understand, uh, the Blighted Shore, whatever it's called, Blight, yeah, mm-hmm. the Blight Shore is in, yeah, it's okay. part of Joros. Well, I'm very interested in them. They look very cool, and I love the unsettling presence feature. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's neat. And that they're just, oh yeah, they're just kind of revenant, but not revenant. Mm-hmm. They're hanging out. <laughs> So the two, or I guess three subclasses that they have in here, um, they all are about Dunamancy. I'm saying that right, right? Yes. Yeah. Dunamancy, yeah. Um, Spencer, why don't you, can you give us a quick context for Dunamancy? Because I know it comes up pretty early on in the show. Um, so Dunamancy essentially is, I don't know why, uh, I guess I'm um, Dunamancy essentially is the it's magic from the Kern dynasty and the Kern dynasty is or i'm probably saying that wrong because it's been a while since i've heard it um, it's okay i think i think listeners will forgive you it <laughs> is pretty much this almost like ancient it's this long-living dynasty of drow if i'm to remember correctly because they're getting like into that now, but mm-hmm. it was something that was brought on very early on in but the for, campaign. Uh, but Dunaman- it's, it's it's like it's space and time magic. Yeah, so Dunamancy is a ability they have that is very much like space and time magic. Because the only thing that very early on introduced. It, that's introduced is the Luxon Beacon, which is mm-hmm. an actual item that's in this book. Is that the thing on that's the front? Yeah, that's the thing on the front. So that the Mighty Nine gets that very early on, and that's the only real tie-in they have with the uh current dynasty at the moment, and it's pretty much I'm like at the cusp of them starting to explore <laughs> that further. Okay. And I was trying to get more caught up for this, but just <laughs> time is as I've said before, those episodes are real fucking long. <laughs> yeah. Um, Animal Crossing came out, yeah, time yeah. got away from you. It's just Dude. what are you gonna do? <laughs> but go listen uh, to the most recent episode of I'm Gonna Podcast and you can see how obsessed I am with Animal Crossing <laughs> and how drunk I can get while recording. Big um mood. big mood. But so pretty so, much so yeah, the the Dunamancy is what the subclasses are about and fucking with space and time. And yeah, there's yes. literally a sentence in here that says, their interest in learning to alter the fabric of gravity, potential, and time often coincides with the hunger to understand the oldest mysteries of the cosmos. So that the first one that it brings into is the Fighter Echo Knight, which is so cool. Yeah, I was kind of looking at that and I'm like, this has like some heavy UA vibes yes. where it's like, this feels really powerful. And I... well, here's the thing. It, it feels powerful, but it does feel balanced. Like, yeah. I, I the was fact that the... when you attack, you get... can only attack. 
yeah, like I I didn't get any Iron Man vibes from this one. Oh God, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the so the Echo Knight real quick is you can basically summon an Echo of yourself that will fight on the battlefield and as you get higher up in levels you can do more with that echo everything from letting it make opportunity attacks uh to teleporting and exchanging places with it to it teleporting to you and blocking an attack that is coming at you this class has a lot of really cool like role play elements i think for a possibility as well like i i think this I, I, I want to make one. I love it. <laughs> like, personally, because I was looking at it last night, and uh, I was also looking at, like, some of the other subclasses in just D&D in general, more from a utility standpoint. Mm-hmm. This Echo Knight, you get, like, essentially a free Misty Step every two turns. Essentially, yeah. Because you can bonus action on one turn, have it go 15 feet away from you, and then have it move 15 feet. The next turn, bonus action, swap places with it. And then the next turn, bonus action, summon another one. The other one disappears 15 feet away from you. All of a sudden, you can move, like, pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean, at what, what level can you um, teleport with it? Third. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah you can, uh, as a bonus action, you can teleport, magic sw- swapping places with it. So as soon as you get the option to summon it, you can teleport with it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a free Missy step every two turns, which I think is just nuts for a fighter. Like, really cool. Yeah, but, like... but, but also to be fair, you have to think about that the there's a chance that that Echo isn't going to exist by your next turn because it has an AC and one hit point. The AC is going to be the highest AC in your party by the time that you get to higher levels. It's true, but... It has the it has the possibility of of going down, and I oh, like true. that because like because you know once again hitting AC is not the only thing you can do. If it needs to make a deck save, it's your deck save. If it needs to make a wisdom mm-hmm. save, it's your wisdom save. And any damage that's done to it immediately kills it, no matter what level you are. Yeah, because it has one hit point. Balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. AOE is its bane. That's what yeah. I was talking about, like with utility more so than anything. Like if there's like a puzzle thing that you got to go through you have more of a chance to get through it, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Like just looking at it from a pure utility oh, would, standpoint, it's, oh my God. it's really helpful. I would love to take an echo Knight into control. Oh my God. Right. I, I want to do that so bad. Like how cool would that be? It'd be so um, neat. Moving on next. Uh, the wizard gets two subclasses and that mm-hmm. is, Oh God. I didn't Essentially time and gravity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Chronergy and graviturgy. Yeah, chronergy and graviturgy. <laughs> um, and these are okay. I feel like this is finally the chance to get the control wizard into D and D fifth edition. But even then, that. I don't feel like it's through the subclasses. I feel like it's more through their spells. Like, cause the chronergy one feels like they took some of the cool stuff of uh the divination wizard. And some of the stuff of the war wizard and like mashed it together. Yeah. I think if you made the time wizard uh, and used uh, scion spells from the UA, you can make a pretty good control wizard. 
true. But I mean, like this one's a legitimate one. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the Graviturgy one, I will say is a bit more of a control wizard because it has the ability to... You're when affecting you, speeds and yeah, you're affecting you're, movement. And... You're... But I will say that over the time you get four things and they're all just okay. Yeah. Like the Event Horizon one, Mm, eh, I guess. I mean, it's right. it's better than Necromancer. Hey, if you don't yeah. already have the Raise Dead spell, you can get it. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> or it's like, gee, thanks. Um, <laughs> after that, they introduce a bunch of Dunamancy spells. We're not going to go yeah. into each one of them, but they are pretty cool. And I'm yeah. always a fan of more 15 spells. 15 new spells. Yeah. Um, and they go all the way up to level 9. And yeah. well, what's cool about the spells is there are spells this is where I feel the control wizard would really come into play mm-hmm. because there's spells that affect characters placement a lot. And like, we only really have like thunder clap and thunder wave of like really trying to move stuff around via spells. There's not a whole lot of spells that actually cause things to move. Whereas in here, there's like, um, gravity fissure. <laughs> yeah. We're pretty much you s- send out a lightning bolt but then anything within 10 feet of that lightning bolt, it's not a lightning bolt. I'm using that just for yeah, reference okay. of how the spell works. Uh, anything outside of that, within 10 feet of that, if they fail their con save, gets pulled into that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, it's like you have a really neat ability throughout all these spells, even like low level spells too, to actually move the battlefield around. Yeah. To get your people into position better or to get the enemies into position that would benefit your friends. Or like over the edge of a cliff. Yeah, you could you could literally just like, you're over the cliff now and you're falling. <laughs> and like, um, I would love to make a divination wizard with these spells. Yeah. Because then I could I could play my control wizard I've always wanted to play and that would be brilliant. Because <laughs> like um, these are totally making it work too. After after the spells, uh, Matt Mercer snuck in a whole Xanathar's guide. He did. Yes. And yeah. It's good amazing. for him. Amazing. <laughs> this is one of the coolest sections of any setting book, and I think is yeah. the main reason why this book is such a winner to me. Besides the adventure hooks in the Gazetteer, this fully lets you build a backstory for a player's character who has no idea about the setting whatsoever. And really, if they take anything from this book and move it into future campaign settings, it needs to be this section. Yeah. I mean, like, the fact that they go into literally every settlement, like, you could be from, they go into, like, relationships that the Xanathar's Guide kind of went through. However, this one's, like, specific towards this book. Well, they also had that in uh, Ravnica, you know, how there was the allies and rivals that we had. that one wasn't specific towards the faction. Well, yeah, yeah, that... That was based off of your guild. This one goes into even further detail with based off each faction. And what I really like is they have a stat block or a a table for ally and rival identities where Mm -hmm. they literally will tell you what stat block you can use for this rival or ally. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that was really cool, too. Just the fact that they broke it down to that much detail and information. And then there's the fateful moments, which, again, kind of from the Xanathar's Guide. Yeah. But the, the thing is, though, is this is a D20 table, and it is the it is a whole page 
every section here has a whole paragraph of what happened. And yeah. hands down, my favorite one is the one that gives you the pseudo dragon. I, I keep looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you gain a pseudo dragon, essentially. He's loyal to you wherever you go, even if you'd rather stay hidden. Um, it is controlled by the DM, but obeys your orders as if, if you treat it well. So, yeah, there, like, they're just the amount of stuff that's in here that can tie a character to this world and into the campaign itself. I'm the, and then there's and, a whole prophecy thing, mysterious yeah. secrets. My God. The cool <laughs> thing I will mention about the fateful moments, it does something that you love to do, Trevor. It gives you feats before you even start playing. Yes. Like some of these is like, oh yeah, you have the magic initiate feat because of this reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not just because you wanted it to make your character better. It's because you actually helped out wizards. You're transformed into a bear. You can now cast speak with animals at will. I it's like it. you, it gives you feats and bonus things about it. It's like, oh yeah, this one gives you a proficiency. You saved a riderless horse wearing full tech and harness from wolves so now you have a horse a saddle and proficiency with animal handling hell yeah and that's just on top of your actual character building stats there the um so the one of the things that i do like because i looked into the the prophecy thing is that like there is so it gives you a prophecy but then if you fulfill the prophecy there's a whole reward system for fulfilling it yeah and that's never really been done before i I love it yeah um, after that, it goes into, uh, one background, which is the Grinner. I have no idea what that is. Oh no, sorry. There's two backgrounds, but yeah, one of them is the Grinner. I have no idea what that is. So the um, Grinner is like the freedom fighter, essentially, um, in, in any kind of equivalent to our world. So it's like, it's like if, uh, think of like revolutionary times, like those kind of people mm-hmm. that were like spreading the word about that kind of stuff. So that's, that's Hold them, but they're, but they're bards. Yeah. They're, they're bards. So they're, it's taking the bard kind of, uh, like college of blades approach mm-hmm. of you're showing as a bard, but really under the surface, you're being this freedom fighter. You're spreading this word mm-hmm. kind of because Dr. Dranzel was a character that was in campaign one. Dr. Dranzel okay. is one of the artwork that's with the Grinner uh, background. Um, he uh, he had known Scanlan mm, as yeah, a bard. There's code songs that go along with yeah. it where it's like, oh, there it's a song that you can listen to, but it has a lot of heavy notes about it that if you listen to it, you can actually pick up on it. Um, and then uh, there's the Volstrucker agent. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I'm which, no freaking cool. It looks cool. It's got tragedies, sure. Essentially, your duty is to silence dissidents who would undermine the will of King Dwendal, and more importantly, the will of the Assembly. So you're like a spy trying oh, okay. to go against people that are against the king. You're Mara Jade Skywalker. <laughs> kind of. Um, and so it's like, it, it gives you a lot of like things with that, and there's there's new features with both of these as well. Oh, I think I, I might know what But is. one of the other things I love after this, it has adapting backgrounds. So it has mm-hmm. a, it has like a couple suggestions for uh, the acolyte, the criminal, the sailor, the sage, and the spy, and what that could mean in this world. Yeah, and that's actually, I love it when they do that, when settings do that, because it's like, well, I want to be a sailor in mm-hmm. Ravnica? How does yeah. that work? And so it's like, you kind of have to just guess and make it up. Whereas here, it's like, oh yeah, here if you want to have a sailor background, here's an option that you could easily transition into our world with that. I will say one thing that's kind of interesting about this is they have the sage cobalt scholar, 
And then they keep going and they bring up Monks of the Cobalt Soul, which is Marisha's character's subclass. Oh, yeah. But, but that's not, not actually in the book. Yeah, people were kind of like sad about that, but it was revealed that Matt Mercer is going to release another DM's Guild um, subclass, oh, and that okay. is going to be the Cobalt Soul. Eventually, uh, just like the Blood Hunter, it will be up for sale and everything like that. But yeah, I um, found that very interesting that they reference it, but yet there is nothing you could actually do to play yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So chapter five, God, we're still not even at the end of this book. This is insane. Uh, chapter five is adventures, and that is adventures plural. Uh, looks yeah. like there are four adventures in here, and they are fully fleshed out. Uh, there are there are maps, and I really want to call it the maps. Uh, they were done by Devin Rue, and she did an amazing job yeah uh um, for those that don't know Devin rue uh essentially did the map for them in campaign one and she's stuck with them ever since essentially they've been commissioning her to do all these maps essentially and she's the one that did the the blanket that you can buy on their website yes. she's the one that did all their maps and it looks gorgeous she's a great map like cartographer cartographer i almost say map maker again i've done I, that like three times the past i few will days. say fun fact i only know the word cartographer because of halo <laughs> <laughs> i will say though there was an oversight with a lot of the maps in here it's in several yeah um, where they accidentally i believe added a zero to <laughs> the scaling the scaling in a lot of the city maps that they all really say like, is... "Oh, this city is 500 miles long." It's... <laughs> That's not feet. It's miles. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, no, I don't think it's in the adventures. I think it's in the city maps. Yeah, like I said, in this oh, okay. in the city maps, they'll. Um, it, they did like and Matt yeah. and I. Yeah. It, On uh, page 143, uh, there's a city, and it's like, oh yeah. The, the scale down there is super tiny. It's barely the size of a, of a thumbnail. And it's like... A thousand miles. A thousand miles. <laughs> they, they are like... Think California oh, yeah, times it totally two. totally does say a thousand miles. Like, yeah. that house is huge. <laughs> but um, other than but that, yeah. the maps are beautiful. Yeah, they're, 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 the thing that I love about them is that they're a... For me, what I feel like is a good medium between... Uh, Dyson Logos' maps, which I fucking love the style and minimalism yeah. of, and people who want fully detailed maps. I feel like it's a good medium between those. Oh, yeah. They're pretty much nearly, I think every map in here is color map. Yeah, they are. I haven't seen any black and white ones. I mean, like, there's um, been, like, low saturated ones, but they still have color in them. So we're not going to go into detail about the adventures because, spoilers, um, but these are fully fleshed out adventures. There are stat box yeah. blocks in the adventures. There's things to that you could do for handouts. There's yep. maps. There's so much stuff. I cannot believe how much there is, especially when compared to the Ravnica book, which just says, here's what it might be. And then it left it so open-ended and it didn't yeah. tell you like if you could level oh, up or anything. This one is there, goes from levels one to three in each adventure. <laughs> there's a hex map. There, there's a full-on travel hex map in here i i love it um yeah. so it's it's pretty brilliant like the opportunity it gives you to actually run a full-blown campaign from this book from the get-go without having mm -hmm. to do any kind of like research into it beyond just reading this book i love it the so the last i think the last two chapters is uh the treasures which are really cool yeah um, so 33 magic items <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> that's so many 
um, and then the the bestiary. And the bestiary, I gotta say, it's probably the weakest point for me. Yeah, there's um, there's the, twenty three stat blocks. I think like the strongest thing is the frost worm, which is yeah. I was gonna say the frost worm and the frost zombie or frost giant zombie. Uh, are really great, but you know, having the stats for a blood hunter is pretty cool too. But besides those, I'm like, mm, okay, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure for critical role fans, there's a lot of stuff in here that I just don't get. I know this frog toad devil man. I think I remember him from the beginning of campaign two. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's who I'm thinking of. Um, but for me, as someone who isn't as familiar with it, it's just okay. I will say, I want to go back to the items real quick, because there's some important bits in there. Oh, okay. Sorry. My bad. Um, so there's these things called the vestiges, which they essentially level up with you. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So it was really heavy in campaign one, the vestiges of divergence, which essentially are these artifacts the gods use during the calamity. And oh, then... Uh, pretty much with that when the divergence happened, which is when the gods left Exandria, these were left behind. So in campaign one, which none of the ones in campaign one are in this book, which well, that's I guess they're on Teldori now. Yeah, now. yeah. Well, and that, that's <laughs> why I I believe they aren't in this book. Yeah, but. Pretty much every member of Vox Machina had at least one. Oh, wow. Uh, they made a point to go and get these so they could defeat the things they were fighting at the time. Um, I mean, so what's really cool about these is they have a awakened state and an exalted state after. So when you first find it, it's in the dormant state. And pretty much through personal strife or personal accomplishment, depending on which vestige it is, which god it came from, and what your character goes through, like there is a uh, table or it's like a little side blurb that explains yeah. how you can advance the vestige of divergence, essentially saying like, oh, there's plenty of options the DM can use. Uh, these are just like examples where it's like a character loses a close ally in battle. Um, a character overcomes one of their greatest fears. A character known for restraint gives into the amoral violent urges. So it's like these kind of this like, this is cool. This I, can advance I it. This. this is, that is some really cool stuff. Yeah. And it says like, there, it starts out in a dormant state, like it's quiet yeah. and asleep, and that's like um, over time and in response to perseverance and personal growth, i.e., you could say leveling up. Um, it does have <laughs> a vestige of uh, divergence might unlock the facets, uh, an awakened state, and eventually through extreme personal challenge, these artifacts can reach their ultimate potential in their exalted state. And oh, each God. each of these items explains to you how they're different whenever they do it too. Like, honestly, this is one of the coolest things that D&D has done. Like, one of the new coolest things yeah. that D&D has done in a while. Because this is, like, a whole new thing. They haven't really done anything it, like this in a while. It really solves, for me, the problem of artifacts where it's, like, all right, well, it's here and it does its super fucking awesome thing as soon as you get it. But it's got a consciousness, so it might be a dick. Where it's, <laughs> it, I, don't have, it's it, I don't have to be a dick to the player anymore to keep them from doing the cool shit. Yeah. It, they know 
what they're in for and they know that they need to do stuff to make it better. They have, the players have to put the work in and I, I really like that. Yeah. That's and yeah. fascinating. This was all Matt, like yeah. introducing no, this to D and D because it was something he did in campaign one. So, and it was in the Taldore book too. They have the mm. uh, vestiges that Vox Machina had in oh, Taldore's. I, I got that. I got that one too. I don't know if it translates the same of how they wrote it out. Uh, but also, like Ali was saying, with leveling up, they do have a guide of typically it's after ninth level that it might reach its awakened state. So mm-hmm. like ninth to fifteenth level, and then sixteenth to twentieth level is when it would most likely reach the exalted state and i appreciate that i appreciate they tell you the scalings that way you're not like overthrowing your balance of the game on accident by just Mm -hmm. not having the knowledge so i i like that they they give you the numbers there straight up yeah and i'm not familiar with any of these vestiges so i can't be like oh yeah this is (laughs) how it works yeah but Mm -hmm. like in vox machina vax had one vestige that was of the raven queen and I either when it awakened or when it got exalted, it was allowed him to sprout wings and have a fly speed for yeah. like an hour. Mm-hmm. And oh, then yeah, like awesome. looking at one of these, it's uh, armor and it's when it becomes awakened, it gets a the AC bonus it has increases. Yeah. So That's like awesome. just just that stuff alone is kind of cool. The fact that yeah, each time it starts as a plus one armor with some extra effects. When it awakens, it becomes a plus two armor with extra effects on top of what it already had. And when it's exalted, it becomes a plus three armor with even more effects on top of everything. That that's really like I I messed around with trying to do stuff that leveled up with players, but yeah, this is I think this is a better way to do it. And I might I might try and make some of my own in this vein. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I'm tempted to do that, too, because I'm at that point in my personal campaign where my players have, like, talked with some gods and, like, have gotten yeah. a few things from them. So it's like... Killed a few. Yeah. I feel like at this point, maybe they could get some stuff like this. Yeah. Because that would be pretty cool. Um. Well, that's the whole book. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's I'm a huge go- map at the back, too. Just oh, saying. Yeah. yeah, there is. And it's gorgeous. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think we uh, were a big fan of this book. Yeah. I mean like the Chronicle system, the evolving magic items, like we just talked about and the hooks alone make it just complete awesome standout for me. Like it's, it's perfect. I, this is great. I, I, this is a fantastic D and D book and one I'm happy to have in my collection, even if I don't know about critical role, which real quick, I'm going to, to bring up a, a email from, from dusty. Yeah. Uh, he wrote in uh, difficulty class at gmail.com. And if I can pull it up, there it is. Uh, hey friends, would you recommend this supplement to, uh, for someone that has zero critical role no- knowledge, i.e. me stay awesome. Dusty hundred percent. Yes. I mean, like, you don't even have to know the setting. This is if you like high fantasy and this is a perfect way to get you into it more so than you would be able to in the Faerun setting. Yeah. Cuz you could easily get more into Wildmount than you could into Faerun right now. Yeah, that that's that's true. The the amount of like if you wanted to build your own campaign in a setting, I feel like there's more stuff for Wildmount than currently for 
the uh, main setting. Yeah. 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 Because currently for you to build something in Faerun, you would need a campaign guide. Yeah. And it would be specific to that campaign, whereas this lets you have more freedom with it and you could still play in that high fantasy strain. Well, I think it was like what Trevor was saying earlier of you just need this book in a PHB and you can yep. play. Yeah. Like with this book as your setting guide, you are set mm-hmm. with no understanding of critical role or anything. You have an understanding of this continent. And you could play in it easily. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be the kind of the, the direction they should go or what they should take from it for future campaign guides. Because like like you were saying, we can't hold this to the tier or the bar be set because of this book of what we expect mm-hmm. campaign settings to be. But we should expect the bar to be with certain aspects there like certain aspects of this book i feel like need to be what campaign settings are oh yeah just so people who aren't familiar can play it i i I will say it's what i hope that they they do with it but again i'm not gonna if you know if theros comes out and it's exactly like ravnica i'm not gonna knock him for it because that's what that designer wanted to do Mm -hmm. and this this was matt doing everything he ever wanted to do so he scrambled to get as much into it as he could <laughs> yeah so, i mean that's true again yeah i remember reading on twitter though uh james in frasco i think is his name uh he's one of the writers that worked on this book he was saying like the chronicle system in this should be applied to every book afterwards yeah because like and he was one of the he's one of the main writers in this book and also in other books too he's yeah. one of those uh the dm's guild like picked peoples who get to write with the team awesome person of awesome (laughs) yeah so it's like he he's like yeah no i knowing the chronicle system i haven't been able to shut up about it (laughs) (laughs) so i i have i have a good feeling that they might at at least introduce a little bit of that Mm -hmm. to books from here on out because i if honestly if they're gonna steal anything from matt that'd be the best thing to do yeah 100 (laughs) um well yeah that's uh that's all I gotta say. Go, go get this. Go get this book. If yeah. you've been on the fence about it, go get it. It's, it's what, it's what a book should be that you want from it. So that's, that's gonna be my review for it. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're not even a fan of Critical Role, or if you are a fan of Critical Role, it's worth it either way. Yeah. yeah, I would say to everyone who was like hesitant when they heard, oh, it's gonna be a Critical Role book, that, that doesn't affect it at all as just a supplement guide this is a phenomenally written book and it doesn't really matter that it is about the critical world critical role world it's it's just pretty much because of matt's love of his world that Mm -hmm. he's created you can see that in the book and i feel like that's the only thing that really bleeds through of the whole critical roleness of it this is this is gonna sound really corny but i feel like this isn't a love letter to critical role fans this book is a love letter to like teenage matt mercer like he yeah. wrote this yeah. for himself. I mean, and there's it, a there's a really can... well done foreword by Matt Mercer in the beginning that kind of makes makes your heart smile a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> for for like teenage Matt to think about where he is now. That's like it's really yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, so um, we love it. Go get it. Um, but I think that is going to do it for this week's episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that was our show for this week. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, don't get killed by a frostworm.